Welcome to Remarkable, a podcast about the families all over the world who love someone with Rett syndrome. Mel's blog, Trail to a Texas Trial, is what made me want to seek her out for a chat for the Remarkable podcast. Her words are incredibly honest and convey the feelings that a lot of Rett syndrome parents hold. Mel's daughter, Caitlin, is 26 and living with Rett syndrome. We had a lot to talk about from finally being able to get a Rett syndrome diagnosis to her writing and a little bit about the clinical trial they were involved in a few years ago. So there are actually two parts to our chat. Here is the first part of my chat with Mel. Thank you so much for joining me for the podcast, Mel. I really appreciate you setting aside some time. Your daughter, Caitlin, is currently 26 and living with Rett syndrome. That's correct. It's amazing. Um, Before she was born, had you heard about Rett syndrome before? Oh, no. This was so long ago um, Mm. that, uh, no, I I hadn't heard of it. And um, I was extremely fortunate that um, when she was going through her regression, her pediatrician um, actually called it. She's like, I am, she says, I think she has this thing called Rett syndrome and um she says I just it's just something new that I've heard of and um she was 18 months old at the time and um she goes um she because of the what she's doing with her hands so I'm going to refer her for an evaluation at that time there was no genetic testing yeah this is in the 90s would it be? Yeah, nineteen nine. She would have been. It would have been nineteen ninety four. Wow, and she was about eighteen months. So, yes. so the I guess the first thing, uh, the first symptom that you saw that took took you to the pediatrician, or were you just there for a? a um, no, I. The first thing I noticed was that Caitlin wasn't learning as quickly anymore. So, it seemed like um, it was taking her a long time to learn a new thing. And so um, I took her into the doctor and basically that's what I said. I said, it seems like her learning has slowed down. And um, they they thought I was pretty much nuts. (laughs) And then um, they sent me away and then, they said there's, you know, there's, they couldn't see anything wrong with her. And then, um, between, um, this was around 12 months of age. And then Mm -hmm. between, um, 12 months and 15 months. So in that three month period there, um, I took her back several times and I said, I know there's something wrong. I don't know how, I don't care how strange it sounds, Mm -hmm. but there's something going on. Um, she started to pull her hair out. She started to bite herself. She would kind of stare off into space. She didn't really have the, um, hand ringing at that time. Mm -hmm. What she did have was feet ringing. So, um, her feet would rotate over each other, like inward, and then they would rotate. And it was very difficult to get her shoes on. Yeah. It was constant. Yeah. And um, her normal pediatrician, we were in the military, so her normal pediatrician was um, TAD, which stands for Temporary Active Duty, somewhere else during right. this time frame. And um, so they all just kind of blew me off. And then when she came back and I made an appointment, 
as soon as she saw her, she said, there is something wrong with your child. Right. And she had seen her before and then she noticed the difference. Yeah, she had, but she hadn't seen her in three months. Yeah. And within that three months. Yeah. And, and then when she saw her again, she's like, there is something wrong with Mm. Caitlin. And I'm like, I know, (laughs) you know, and I was so relieved. I mean, even though she told me something was wrong, I just cried because I was so relieved that somebody believed me. And that's, and, um, so this was around 15, 16 months. And then, um, she said she had now begun to hand ring. And, and so she said she thought she might have this thing called red syndrome. That, that's incredible for um, a pediatrician in the 90s to pick that up um, because you, pediatricians these days don't even pick it up and it's been, you know, how many years since we know about Rett syndrome. Right. So that's incredible that she did that. She sent me to um, see to the neurologist at the Navy hospital. They were completely unhelpful. And then I... Um, paid to go see Dr. Haas, who is um, a RET specialist um, at that time and also still now in San Diego. And um, he's like, no, she doesn't have it. I give him, I give him such a hard time now because I, I'm like, do you remember my daughter, Caitlin? <laughs> you saw her when she was about two. And he goes, I do remember a Caitlin. And I said, you said she didn't have RET syndrome. Oh. And he's like, come on, cut me some slack. There wasn't gene testing. Because it would have been all just by assessment, by a clinical assessment, basically, of all the symptoms. And so she, she, to me, she exhibited the symptoms of Rett syndrome. Um, His, his thing was that she seemed too engaged in her environment. Um, That she was too social at her age. Um, And so that's what he based his no on was right. that. Um, oh. So then there was a few years of um, the neurologist saying, no, she didn't have Rett syndrome. And the developmental pediatrician saying, yes, she did have Rett syndrome. And then in um, when she was six, the gene testing became available. Oh, um, right. She was tested and she came out um, positive so positive wow and how did you feel about that diagnosis well by that time I felt fairly certain that yeah. she had Rett syndrome so I'd had six years yes to adjust to the fact that this result was going to come out positive I don't have I don't remember the day like parents nowadays they Different have now. the d-day diagnosis day yeah and I don't have that I uh, it doesn't come up every year for me, which I think is is a is a blessing. Yeah. You know, I don't I don't have to. By the time Caitlin got diagnosed with Rett syndrome, I'd already known she had Rett syndrome for many years, mm. and we were just waiting for this piece of paper so she could get services. Yeah, and like I've spoken to a lot of other families, getting that actual diagnosis does help get you into services. Even when we are diagnosed with autism first, um, that's helped us or helped me in my situation get my daughter into services while we wait for that DNA testing. So it must have been a a relief to get a DNA test done when she was six, finally, after six years of waiting and six years of knowing. In a way, I'm a little 
I guess I'm kind of an odd parent because um, okay. I, I, I didn't, I didn't have anxiety over it. It wasn't, I mean, it was nice to finally know what, you know, for mm -hmm. sure that's what it was, but it made absolutely no difference to me at the time because, mm -hmm. um, like I said, I already knew it for such a long time that um, it really didn't make a bit of difference getting that. It didn't, I didn't cry about it. I didn't get anxious. I, about it it didn't impact our day at all mm -hmm. it all it did was make it easier to get services like she was going into elementary school or, and yeah. the doctors were like well you need to have a diagnosis so this will help when she gets services and i'm like great okay fine yeah i just <laughs> took it in stride it didn't it didn't really change anything about it other than knowing okay, finally, they're going to stop arguing about, does she have it? Does she yeah. not have it? Yeah. And that was, that was the biggest relief, just being able to sit, say, okay, can we stop arguing about it now? Yeah, and, let's and move, forward. move forward. Yeah, exactly. Back then also, once you got your diagnosis, was there a lot of support back, back then? Because, oh, God, no. Yeah, because I'm, <laughs> I'm trying to imagine what life would be like without Facebook and without the internet because... Um, I've talked to a lot of parents so far and I said what the first thing you did after you got your diagnosis you googled it didn't you and they were like yes but in your case mm -hmm. there was no google no but there was a medical library I, um, yeah. I had oh, great. the great fortune of um, being a medic in the navy oh great and I also worked at a hospital in a laboratory so I had mm. access to um, medical books and um, so I, I looked it up I, you know, oh, I looked quiet. it up in a book and they had a blurb about it. And, um, it was probably the worst thing you could possibly ever read. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine. And, uh, it was only, you know, it was like six lines long, you know, neurodegenerative disease and, um, mm. they'll die. I mean, basically I, I, it said, you know, they'll die young. Yeah. Um, I was told 12. I, I was told I could hope for age 12. Wow. Uh, um, so when age 12 came, I threw a big party for her. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and then each year they got bigger and bigger because I was like, okay, I'm on borrowed time. And then <laughs> finally, I forget what age, but I, I finally kind of calmed down and said, you know what? She's healthy. She's beating whatever odds they said. Uh, I'm going to just stop this now because it's ridiculous. I, I mean, they just kept yeah. getting larger and larger. Yeah, because uh, they wouldn't have known much about life expectancy back then also. Um, no, no. It's, and it's very different now. You, you're, we're hearing of, you know, ladies in their 50s, I think. Is the, it, might, it might have been older. I can't remember. But, yeah, I think because they didn't know much back then, they've just said life expectancy, not great you know, very, very young, but now they're like, okay, well, we don't know for sure. Um, and it's dependent on the person. Yes. The last average I saw was 40. Yeah. They had upped it to 40. That's so that's, amazing. I mean, I think that that's a great, that's a great relief to me. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, it's a great relief when I see, oh, it's 50, 60, 
years old. Um, it gives me a lot of hope <clears throat> for her. To have, have, not have that burden of, oh, it's going to be anytime soon because that's what the book right. said. You know, we can't really go buy a book. You can go buy a book in some ways. Like it gives you a good guideline, but, you know, rules are meant to be broken. And I think our kids can do amazing things if we just kind of let them, let them be and let them live a little. Mm-hmm. And also with the advent of better technology, mm-hmm. uh, better therapies, different drugs to control seizures and those yeah. sorts of things that would have impacted the life expectancy at the time. Now we, we have these things that are extending that because they're mm-hmm. just better medicine. Absolutely. And also that we're discovering that some of the, you know, women, and I, I'm not sure if there's any men, but um, older women that had no diagnosis can now be diagnosed with Rett syndrome. So that's also happening. Yes. Which is fantastic. So, you know, God bless modern medicine because it's making a difference in our lives. I think I forgot to ask you about what kind of symptoms she was having um, apart from the, you know, the hand ringing and the feet ringing. Was there anything obviously Rett syndrome that was happening to her while she was young? Um, well, well, her head circumference, she stopped growing for about a year. So oh. her head circumference, you know, dropped off the charts basically. Wow. Mm. She had a very skinny head. Um, mm-hmm. And she... Um, I thought at first that she was becoming autistic because she would just kind of stare into space and she didn't want to be touched and she did withdraw into her own little world. So I, I call it her autistic phase during what I now know was probably her regression, Regression, her regression phase where it was just probably too overwhelming. And I talked to a doctor about this one time years later um, and he said that um, it's like a person who has a stroke. They remember being able to do everything that they could do, mm-hmm. and now they can't. Mm-hmm. So it's very frustrating, and they have to um, learn to cope with it. And in order, it's too overwhelming to Absolutely. try and do that in the in the world at large. So they have to withdraw a little bit. So they can think about how are they going to deal with what's happening. Regression for us was a horrible, horrible time. It was, I think it was four or six months. Yeah. And you could really see them change and then get really quiet. So it was, yeah, it's tough. And my heart goes out to anybody that's going through that at the moment. It does, it does end and it does get better, but you know, hang in there. It it gets, um, Caitlin is high functioning. So she has, Mm -hmm a lot of behavioral issues so i right. it's hard to say that it got it got better in some ways but in some ways got very difficult oh, no. um because she is high functioning and higher functioning children uh tend to have more um self-injurious behavior right. aggression those sorts of things so um screaming um it's very impactful on the family life and on her in um, in a horrible way, you know? So it's oh. very hard. Until Facebook, I didn't realize that not every ret child screamed Was their bloody like head off. Oh, <laughs> no. I'm sorry to assume that it got better. I like I didn't realize, you know, how hard it could be, um, you know, yeah, with the behaviors. It, it, yeah. When, um, so I, I really 
I thought every ret child was like Caitlin mm -hmm. because I hadn't met any before. Right. And she she was um and for and still is often um very aggressive. It's traumatizing to she used to scream for like eight hours a day. Wow, nonstop. And that's one of the things I think doctors don't they're doing more now, especially um Dr. Kaufman, Dr. Walter Kaufman, mm -hmm. he is um, very interested in the higher functioning uh, children and the behaviors that they deal with and that their families deal with on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of, um, like, for, like I said, Caitlin used to scream for eight hours a day and there wasn't a doctor that would do anything for it. Mm -hmm. And now they, they pay more attention to it and, and the children are being put on medications to deal with that. But when Caitlin was little, there was nothing that they would give us for that. And it really, really impacted the family unit yeah. as a whole. I mean, she would be, she just didn't know what to do. And I just hold her so she wouldn't hurt herself and she would pummel me. Mm. like just pound on me and um she, you know she like I said head banging she's put her head through the wall many wow. times wow um put her head through the shower tile oh my goodness um so she wears a helmet quite often now and she feels terrible about it you know she says sorry mommy sorry mommy but she mm. just can't do it and I found out that um the fight or flight cortisol levels mm -hmm. in red children are one and a half times those of the general population. Oh, wow. So when, when Caitlin gets upset or another high functioning child gets that upset, yeah. they have so much more cortisol going through <clears throat> their bloodstream that it's difficult for them to rein that in. To settle. So um, she's had a lot of behavioral therapy. She did a, um, should to be in a psychiatric hospital for developmentally disabled um, children for mm. four and a half months. Wow. Um, so it, it, it can be very difficult for, for the higher functioning, the families with higher functioning children because of these behavioral issues, which I think are largely misunderstood by the um, mm -hmm. community. They well, absolutely. Have... I didn't. I didn't realize that myself, and I, I do apologize again for not. Oh no, it's realizing. okay. I'm not offended. It's just like I. I. I made the assumption that every child was like that, <laughs> and if you don't, if you don't have a child like that, and you don't meet another child like that, you think you know your child is like every ret child. Yeah. And it's just when I first met a ret child that didn't scream, I was so jealous. I have to admit, <laughs> I was so jealous. I was like, your child doesn't scream. Why are they so ever? quiet? <laughs> Why are they sitting still? <laughs> Why is my child quiet? <laughs> oh no. No, I can imagine it'd be like night and day um, because you hadn't been going through what would have been years, I guess, of these issues. And then, meeting someone with the same diagnosis and it's like oh okay i'm like she never screams she never bites you she doesn't hit you she doesn't when did she punch you last oh she didn't oh <laughs> yeah and that just goes to show like this again a spectrum within Rett syndrome as well because like i said you can have the same diagnosis you could even have the same mutation 
and mm -hmm. they're different they're just different and it's, you, you can't go by uh, what's written on the paper on the paper you have to go by right. the child how is how is she doing today with these these behavioral issues and things how are you um, well she's in um she gets behavioral therapy mm -hmm. and so she we're working on the head banging and it's it's improved um so for the most part i'd say 80 percent of the time she can handle her day you know, um, she, she does take medication, um, yeah. for mood control and it helps quite a bit. And what also helps is that I take medication. I think a lot of parents with these children who are higher functioning and even parents who just, you know, it's hard to cope with this diagnosis. Yep. And I think parents don't, they think they're caving in or they're not strong enough if they decide that they need an anti-anxiety medication or mm -hmm. something. For me, I would like parents to know that it's okay because you, your life will improve just because you feel better. I wish mm -hmm. somebody had told me probably 15 years earlier, hey, you need some yeah. medication to deal with being beaten up every single day. Because it's not just me and Caitlin. If you have other children, they're mm -hmm. affected your behavior towards them is affected their yep. their life is greatly affected and i wish i had that's one of my biggest regrets is that i was not given that option earlier so that i could have mm. been a more patient parent with them i was very patient with caitlin yeah but i wish i had but it's like i used it all up on caitlin and yeah, it wasn't okay. as patient as i really desperately wish I could have been with my other two children. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think that is, is such important advice. And why I wanted to talk to other, you know, vet syndrome families, especially women, um, because I think we do put ourselves to the side and we do think, oh, we should be able to do this because we're strong women and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I think it's really important that you, you catch yourself flipping if you need help, you know, uh, put your hand up and ask, even if it's in the Facebook group. Um, but there's no shame in asking for help and then, you know, needing medication to get by. Me, I myself have pretty bad anxiety. It's gotten better in the last few years because I've noticed it and I've actually taken, you know, some action on helping myself because I, mm -hmm. I was finding that I wasn't coping. Even though I said I was coping and I looked like I was coping, I wasn't. And I, you know, started therapy and mm. I saw my doctor for the anti-anxiety medication and um, also saw naturopaths and things. So that was just my experience of what I needed to do for myself. And I really hope that other uh, women and men that feel like, you know, that something is not right within them, that they're, they're brave enough to ask for help because your children need you. And they need the best version of you that you can offer them and, mm -hmm. and themselves. Um, so there's no shame in, you know, asking for that help. And like you said, you didn't, you, you wish you had that extra 15 years of knowledge of knowing that you could have been better for your kids and, and for yourself. Yes. You know? So, uh, and so she's doing for someone with Rett syndrome though, she's doing very well. She's very mm -hmm. healthy. She, um, she's had her gallbladder out. She's had the, 
she had kyphosis, not scoliosis. Okay. So she, she um, just had the rods put in last year, wow. which was kind of late. She was 25. Yeah. Um, so that's pretty late for someone with Rett syndrome, but she wasn't being compromised in any way up until then. So when they yeah. told me one of the um, lungs was being affected, I said, that was my red line. And I said, yeah. let's do it. And she's doing great. Um, Caitlin is um, high functioning, but she's also what's called preserved speech variant. Right. So at she developed seizures at around the age of two, around the age of seven, her seizures simply stopped. I don't know why. Wow. But she's never had another seizure since she was seven. And she used to have grand mal seizures and yeah, status then. epilepticus. Wow. So she was just, on medication from two? Um, yeah, from two until 14. But mm -hmm. she, she had seizures from two to seven. But after seven to 14, she never had another seizure. And then we simply just took her off the Tegretol. Because, no need. I mean, we'd never raised the dose. So, I mean, she was like 60 pounds heavier. So, um, yeah. And so at seven, she, she only had one word, which was ma from mm -hmm. two until seven. And then at seven, um, she gained 10 words. Wow. And, and, um, they changed, but it was never more than 10. So if she learned a new word, another word went away. And then at nine, she learned how to feed herself with a spoon. And then I think she was 11 when she could use a fork. And then that was it for a long time. And then at 15, she had another jump in ability, I guess. Right. And um, she just started to learn. So she started to learn words and put words and phrases together to make uh two to three word phrases and she didn't lose any words she just gained so now wow. she has probably 100 words wow. and phrases yeah preserved speech variant so it's a it's a variant of Rett syndrome not not typical Rett syndrome would it be under atypical she Is would be considered atypical mm. once she she gains once she started to regain skills yeah. then she became atypical up until i would say seven i think she really fit into the classic, the classic. Mm. in the she you know she had a microcephaly she didn't speak she um never you know she didn't use her hands and the seizures uh, and she had seizures and all mm. of that she has gi issues she um was she walking had, did we say that yeah she does she did yeah, walk yeah she she lost the ability to walk it was the first thing she regained and she only lost it for a couple of months wow then mm. she regained the ability to walk and then that was you know that was pretty much it until she hit seven mm -hmm. and then now her hand use i would say is about maybe 60% of a normal person's and um, she can grab things. She can stop her hands from their repetitive movement in order to do something that she wants to do. Wow. So that really, it, it's not something that a lot of children can do. So I mm -hmm. am very grateful 
and feel very blessed for that. Mm -hmm. But the trade-off is the abnormal um, behavioral issues. Yeah. I mean, there's always something, isn't there? Um, is, she, <laughs> is she doing any therapy um, to help her with all these things? Or was it just a matter that she, it was just something clicks with her? She she never really, we never really did therapies. Mm. I, you know, I had three children. I was a single parent and I didn't really have time to put one more thing in my day. So we just, we just worked with her. We did hand, I did hand over hand with her yeah. um, for everything. And yeah. then eventually she was able to do more and more on her own. And um, like, for instance, one of the things that she really wanted to seem to want to do is to open a soda bottle, Ooh. like unscrew the cap. Yeah. And she, she used to try so hard and she couldn't do it. Mm. So um, I started loosening the cap right. so that she could just do one tiny do little twist mm -hmm. and it would come off. And then slowly over the years, I would twist it less and less. Yeah. And now, um, and now she can do it by herself. She can take a, wow. a soda a soda cap, un, unscrew it, drink from it, and then put the cap back on. That's but it incredible. Took, it took, you know, 10 years of working on it. But in the end, it was worth it because now she can do it on her own. Yeah, I, I think that's amazing. And that's another thing to note is that sometimes it takes years and years to learn that one skill. I think a lot of people expect that therapies are going to be magic um and if you just you know go for a few times they might click but i think with Rett syndrome um and i guess with other disorders it just takes time for them for their bodies to catch up with, with their brains as well um especially when you have low muscle tone or you know fine motor issues if you just keep at it you, know, you never know what might happen and that was the in the, that case for you and katie so i think that's amazing that you did that you sound like you're a great advocate for her and for the possibilities that she she has. I, I don't know if it's because I was in the military. I just don't have patience for people who just give up. Yeah. I, I don't, you know, I'm not going to, like doctors who just are like, for instance, I had a doctor say, just take her home and love her. That's all you can do. Oh, oh gosh. <laughs> I mean, if you want to, if you want to really make me try really hard, tell me that there's nothing I can do. So <laughs> probably, even though I was very angry at that doctor, they're probably the reason why I, I was like, I'm going to prove you wrong. That's you right. Just, you know? And so in a way they were the impetus to, to never, ever give up. Yeah, so, I like, I've been saying to um, some other people, it's like, why don't you be the first to show them how wrong they are? You know, if you can't find an example of someone um, doing something amazing, why don't you do it yourself? Why don't we show them how it's done and be the first? So I kind of get that vibe from you that you're like, okay, this is a challenge. You're setting me a challenge and watch me do it. Let's watch us do it. Here we go. Yes. I love that. <laughs> What's Katie's favorite thing to do? She loves to swim. She's a very good swimmer. We started doing pool therapy through the school system around age five. And at age 17, she learned to become an independent swimmer. So yeah. she doesn't need a flotation device or anything. 
She just jumps in the water and goes swimming. She's like amazing. I just tell her, you know, there's nothing you can't do if you if you want to do it. And we've done many, many things. But so have a lot of other parents where I would never do those things. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Like people who take their kids skiing. Caitlin hates the snow. Um. She doesn't want winter. She doesn't want to <laughs> see snow. She won't do snow. Don't put her on a sled or skis. We're not doing that. But a few years ago, four years ago now, drove from the east coast of the United States to the west coast of the United States. Mm. And we took two months and drove all around the United States and wow. seeing everything that I had ever wanted to see. All of our national parks and our national landmarks. And um, she loved it. I mean, we went to Mount Rushmore, Niagara Falls. We went into a cave. She climbed it. We wow. went to, um, I mean, every national park we went to, she, they had very, it was very accessible. So it was easy for her to walk. And she, she went on hikes. She climbed up rocks, had a blast. I mean, we went into natural hot springs. And wow. anywhere along, if I said, oh, look, that looks interesting. Let's go there. We, I mean, we just went. And wow. we got to ex experience a lot of different things. And she loved it. Loved it. Yeah. I mean, what an amazing opportunity for anyone. But I... I I kind of I relate to that because I think that my daughter Jovi is such an explorer. She wants to see things and she wants to do things and she's curious and she wants to know why that works like that. And what, you know, she wants mm -hmm. to experience life. And I think that's what a wonderful opportunity for both of you is to see your part of the world. It was, it really was. And um, as far as like education um, opportunities go, one of the um, sad things and one of the good things for the younger parents is when Caitlin was growing up, we were told over and over again, and shame on me, I believed it, that they did not understand. They couldn't learn. Mm. They didn't, they were not necessarily mentally retarded, but- But uh, intellectually disabled. Yes. Yeah. And so when the Toby eye gaze came out or, mm -hmm. or, you know, or any variety of the eye gaze computer came out and it showed that the girls could in fact learn and make choices and all of that stuff. Mm -hmm. Caitlin was, I think, 18 or 19 years old at that time. And all I could think of was the wasted years of never teaching her something of substance mm -hmm. because they said, don't bother. So yeah. she never, she was never included in a regular class. I never mm -hmm. taught her any subjects. Mm. I mean, and I'm an author and I never did it. And I, at that point I started homeschooling her in, in addition to her going to regular school because mm -hmm. they wouldn't teach her normal classes. And I found out that, um, for one, yes, she could already read because wow, yeah. I, I did put on like closed caption on the television and I read to her all the time, but I learned that she loved the solar system. She loved anything about space. Her favorite book was a book about Jupiter. And she, I made a big, like a big poster of the planets. And she learned to pick out the moon, the earth, the sun, 
Jupiter and Saturn. There's so a, could, a video you've got on YouTube of that, isn't there? Um, no, I use Is a lot you? of apps, but I also... No, of, you, of her picking out the moon, I think. You've got a video on oh, YouTube. Oh, yeah, I have a... Um, <laughs> I do have that. A little on, clip. Um, yeah, where she picked out the Earth. Oh, that's what, she, yeah. And she know I said, yes, Earth is our home. And then one day I brought home a globe mm. and I'm like, look, Caitlin, it's a globe. It's, it's the planet Earth. And she looked right at it, pointed at it and said, home. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I was, I was in tears. And yeah. um, so she, she still doesn't like that. And she likes the human body. Um, she thinks digestion is the coolest thing ever and <laughs> and bones for some reason she really likes bones so we talk about bones and digestion and that kind of stuff and um i'm she's, more a, she's a doctor basically astro yeah astronaut doctor medical yes. doctor <laughs> that's amazing so that's my hope when uh when trifinitide comes out that uh she can go to um like a college yeah. And learn real subjects. Going back to what you were saying in the beginning is that we assume because she's, they're nonverbal that they don't understand, that they're not listening. And that's one of my biggest pet peeves um, when people meet Jovi. They assume that she's deaf because she doesn't speak. Um, and I have to remind them that she's not deaf. She can hear you and she can understand you so you you know better be careful what you say around her please mm -hmm. and then you're right you give them the opportunity and give them the way that they can communicate themselves they will show you how smart they are they're incredible so um, one of the biggest pieces of advice i could give a parent listening is to don't underestimate them and to always give them those opportunities because we don't know what the, how they're going to learn or what they're going to learn so why not mm -hmm. give them that chance rather than just just go by the book and say, oh, they've told me that they, they don't understand or they're never going to learn anything. And I think that's, that's a big shame. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I totally agree. And, and I wish that that's probably one of my, you know, one of my bigger regrets as well is that I, I believe them mm -hmm. and I, I should have done it anyway. Well, it sounds like she's she's moving along just fine now. So I think you're giving her so much opportunity now. You know, in, in hindsight, we can always say, I wish we could have done something earlier. Mm -hmm. But what's more important is what you're doing today about it because you can't change the past. And then mm. that's why I'm really happy for the younger parents because I, yeah. when I see their girls in classrooms and using their Tobies and talking mm -hmm. to each other, it makes me so happy. And I'm so excited for them. And I'm so just so thrilled to pieces that they're having more opportunity. It doesn't make me feel sad that Caitlin didn't get it. It just wasn't mm. there. It wasn't available. It, it is what it is. But it, that doesn't take away my joy for the younger parents and the younger children. I'm so happy for them. You keep an amazing blog called um, Trail to a Texas Trial. What made you yes. start your blog? One of the things I realized is that parents on like particularly Facebook or whatever, often don't, they put a lot of the good stuff mm -hmm. and you know, all, a lot of the happy pictures and they don't talk about real struggles sometimes. Sometimes they do, 
on some of the forums, but a lot of times, especially on their own personal pages, they're, they're talking about only the good things that happen. I knew that I wanted Caitlin to be in the NNZ 2566 trial, which is what trifinitide was called before it was called trifinitide. Yeah. And I made a commitment to myself that if I was going to go through this experience, I wanted to share it with other families. And so I was talking to a parent you know, through messaging and um, I was trying, oh, what should I name my blog? And she said something like, instead of saying trial, she said, tra she spelled trail. And mm -hmm. I said, no, that's perfect. Because when I started the blog, it was, it was a trail to the trial, like to, to get there. Yeah. And then it was in Texas. So I thought, oh, a trail sounds very Western. <laughs> <laughs> it does. So, and, it, you know, it's always a journey. It's this whole thing is a journey. Yep. Getting to the trial and, and everything. And I thought it fit perfect. And so that's what I called it, a trail to a Texas trial, getting to Texas to get Caitlin into the um, NNG 2566 trial. Yeah, and that's and how I started it. So that was in, um, I think, 2013 you started that. So it's been six years. She was between 20. Yeah. So it's been just about six years. Yeah. I think she was 20 <clears throat> when she went through it. It's between five and six years because it was in, in November, December time frame. We left right at the beginning of the new year. Mm -hmm. um, been longer than I had hoped. That's for <laughs> sure. <laughs> no, I think it's amazing. There's such um, a wealth of information on your blog. Have you always been a good writer? You mentioned that you're an author. Um, and the reason why I so sought you out to talk to you on the podcast because you wrote this amazing um, blog post. Have you, yeah, have you always been a really good writer? I think I've gotten better as mm -hmm. I continue to write the blog. I'm a better writer than I was when I started for sure. Um, everything takes practice and with practice you get better. Yeah. But I am, uh, I've been a poet, a uh, published poet for a while. Um, I don't have any books, but I've had po poems published in anthologies. And one of my greatest professional achievements, if you were, is that um, I was asked to write a poem for the Hyannis JFK Museum, which is in Cape Cod, Massachusetts. And I did, it, it, they wanted a poem about John F. Kennedy written from the perspective, not necessarily as a president, but as a person from Cape Cod. And so I, I wrote this poem. I had it written up by a former White House chief calligrapher, and it wow. hangs in the Hyannis JFK Museum. Oh, in wow. Massachusetts. So that's um, really such the greatest honor that I'll yeah. never forget it. That's incredible. But I'm also a children's author and this I really enjoy. So I've written, um, well, lots of stories, but I've had two published. Mm. And um, my first one that I had published is called Tyler and the Spider. And this one was inspired by Caitlin. And I wanted to use I wanted to write a story for young children to address acceptance of differences, whatever they may be, not mm -hmm. specific to disability, just, mm -hmm. but told from two points of view. So here you have, say, Caitlin, 
And a lot of children were afraid of her because she was different. Mm -hmm. And um, no one goes to thinking that maybe Caitlin's just a little bit afraid of them because they're different than her. I wrote this story about a boy a spider <laughs> meeting and the boy's afraid of the spider because he's afraid he's going to get bitten. And everybody can relate to that. Mm -hmm. But nobody thinks about the spider being afraid because he thinks the boy's going to squash him. Yeah. And so as the story goes on, it tells the experience from both points of view and then they meet and neither does any of the things that the other was afraid of. And of course they become best friends. So like the moral of the story is just because someone is different than you doesn't mean you can't be friends too. Mm -hmm. So, so whatever it is, whether they're a different nationality, different religion, they wear glasses, they're a different color, mm -hmm. they have a disability, they're just as uneasy about you who are normal, I mm. guess, for lack of a better word, um, as you are of them. Mm. You're right. I think that's a really important story for everybody, everybody to learn, not only kids, but adults too, <laughs> because I think when it comes to ret syndrome, you kind of feel, well, this is just from what I've learned with kids, the kids kind of feel that they're different and they don't understand and they get scared of them. But actually the kids, you know, with ret syndrome are in there and they want to be a kid too. So I think mm -hmm. this book is wonderful. I'd like to know more about it. It's a nice feeling to know that I have a story out there that um, some people purchase and everyone who does loves it. The funny thing is I've had more people buy it because their children were afraid of spiders and they wanted <laughs> this, this book because the spider is so adorable. He has little tiny red sneakers Aww. and um, he's just so adorable. And it's really, and I, they've come back and said, you know, it really helped my child not be afraid of spiders. And I'm okay. like, whatever. That's not was an attempt, but whatever works, works. And then um, I have a, a second book called um, Grandma, Tell Me If You Can. I, I think if you're going to write, then you need to be honest when you write. Mm -hmm. and, in, and whatever emotion it is that you're writing about or experience you're writing about, that you need to be honest. Mm -hmm. And I found um, one of the things that I found when being on Facebook is that you weren't seeing any posts about the bad stuff. and. Mm -hmm. So I, I made a promise to myself that I would write about those things mm -hmm. so that I knew that if I was going through them, I was not the only one, but I didn't mm -hmm. see anything like that. I never saw any posts about children hurting themselves or banging their head or screaming for hours on end mm -hmm. until I started posting about it. And then I, I got so many comments saying, saying, thank you so much for writing about this. My child does this. And I didn't know that any other child did that. Yeah. And the more comments I got like that, then the more things that I wrote like that. Mm -hmm. uh, and um, when, it, particularly in my blog, when there wasn't something to write about the trial, I was like, I don't want to not write anything. What can I write about? And I would find a subject that a lot of parents were asking questions about and do a blog post. So if they were asking about, you know, their children having their periods or 
you know, what do you do about girl things and mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. Um, I would do a blog post or if a, if a, if a parent was saying, you know, all my daughter's banging her head or screaming, I didn't know that this would happen. I would do a blog post about some, you know, what were the therapies that were used or medications that were being used so that parents would know that they weren't alone. One thing I knew that from when I was younger with Caitlin is that I was alone. Mm. There wasn't support groups. And yeah. even though I'm glad I didn't have Facebook, mm. I was still very much alone. I had no idea about the larger community. And I don't want another person to feel that way. No, I think that's. I think that's really a wonderful thing that you're doing because it's not only just for you, um, it's for all the families that are going through the same thing or will go through the same thing, which is why I wanted to start this podcast too because I wanted to put things, more things out there about everybody's experiences and to mm -hmm. show that they're, they're not alone. They might feel like, you know, that they're the only ones um, in it, but we're here for them and we can offer them our experience and our advice as mm -hmm. well. So have you found that a lot of families have contacted you through through your blog and through your writing? Yes. So mm -hmm. I actually get, I've actually gotten questions or contacted um, by people from other countries, um, particularly the Middle East, mm -hmm. um, where there's not a lot of services or their child might be the only one in the country that's a known rut child yeah. and they don't have any... Anything. Yeah. anything and so um, they do ask me questions about what do parents do um, for different things and so if if uh, Caitlin hasn't experienced it some some of their children need arm splints mm -hmm. and um, or, or you know that's that's what I would recommend in certain circumstances Caitlin doesn't need uh, arm splints but that's why I read all of these posts by other parents. And so I can tell other parents in different countries, this is what they do in this yeah. situation. Um, and uh, so I have gotten several, several um, contacts that way. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm always amazed that, that they found me and that mm -hmm. I'm able to help them. And, and, it's gratifying it 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 makes me feel because i i can't work right i can't work so it makes me feel part of the the world at large i mm -hmm. guess you know well, this as is, a contributing this is your member of society thank you so much for joining me for this session for the podcast we actually have a lot more to talk about so we're going to have part two in a separate episode but thank you so much for joining me for today's talk i've learned so much from you already uh, well, uh thank you so much for the uh invitation um been an interesting and new experience for me and <laughs> i look forward to the second part thank you so much to mel for sitting down with me to talk about your experiences with your daughter caitlin i learned a lot from talking to mel and i know others out there will also there was so much to talk about, so make sure you look out for part two of our chat. Wherever you are in your Rett Syndrome adventure, or if you're listening to this podcast to learn more about the families living with Rett Syndrome, thank you for listening. 
please tell your friends and strangers and cats and dogs about Remarkable. Share our Instagram and Facebook posts for each episode so we can help spread awareness of Rett Syndrome, not only for Rett Syndrome Awareness Month every October, but throughout the year. Part two of my chat with Mel is available in the next episode, so I'll see you then.